Today is the only feast day in the church calendar that celebrates a doctrine, not a person or an event in Christ's earthly life and ministry. So today let's talk about doctrine, or more especially, let's talk about bad doctrine, what we know of as heresies. Trinitarian heresies are by nature usually caught up in Christological or sometimes pneumatological heresies. That is, heresies regarding the person of Christ or the person of the Holy Spirit, and thus the interrelation of the Trinity. I'd like to do an overview of the most ancient and common forms of heresy from history, and perhaps then dive into a few that many of us have probably used in our own personal theologizing as we try to explain things to people. So, uh, yes, this is very practical. I want us to have in mind some of the problems that um, heresy can bring into the church. Have in mind that when we talk to people, at least a little bit of a background of an understanding of the potential Trinitarian problems. I would argue that Today is maybe one of the worst times of doctrine, Trinitarian doctrine, in the history of the church. I don't think we care about doctrine in contemporary American uh, churchmanship and theology. So if we don't care about it, we're probably not going to learn it. We're probably not going to have any sense of what's right and what's wrong. So if I can encourage you, please care. Please listen. Please don't be afraid to dive in and do some more reading. To begin with, let me mention Gnosticism. I say mention because it alone is a topic long enough to fill a year's worth of sermons. St. Irenaeus, Bishop of Lyon in the 2nd century, wrote a long treatise called Against Heresies. He could have just said Against Gnosticism. The first two whole parts at the least, and if I remember correctly, half the third, are very, are very ex- uh, he gives very explicit details of the errors and, shall I say, the chaos of Gnostic heresy. Uh, You start to read on Gnosticism, your head starts spinning quickly. Um, He is also one of the earliest uh, expounders of classic Nicene um, doctrine and theology 150 years before the Council of Nicaea. Uh, So some, um, some heretics today, I'll mention them in a bit, will say that, oh, well, in Nicaea, the church made up new stuff and just decided this, where before that, they believed something very different. And um, St. Irenaeus of Lyon is the, um, puts the lie to that, that statement. A few pointers on Gnosticism, just a few, so keep these in mind. Uh, enough, hopefully, to raise some warning flags for you when you encounter some of today's forms of Gnosticism. First, Gnostic teaching tends to say that you are saved by knowledge and secret knowledge at that. So only the in crowd who have the secret knowledge are the the truly frozen chosen, if you will. To be brief, we are saved rather by the shed blood of Christ and his grace showed to us. And that's enough of that. Second, there is an extreme dualism found in Gnosticism. It is a dualism of matter on the one hand and spirit on the other. Matter in Gnosticism, of of course, is evil and spirit is good. This is just classic Gnosticism. Thus, the creator God could not have been good. But the redeemer God, 
Jesus usually, in, in Christian forms of Gnosticism, was good, and therefore, if he was good, he could not have really been true matter. This equals no incarnation. We call this classically docetism. We see this matter equals evil understanding in actually many places in the Christian church today. Look for it. Be wary of it. Don't fall into it. God made matter, the good God, the creator good God, made matter and said, very good at the end. Some Gnostics, recognizing that only the spirit mattered, were quite licentious in sexual matters, while others, recognizing the evil, in other words, it doesn't matter, so hey, have a party. Some, recognizing the evil of the material world, in their view, were heavily ascetic and not only avoided promiscuity, but were even sometimes involved in extreme self-flagellation. Gnosticism can go in any direction quickly and a long ways. There are so many forms of Gnosticism throughout history that it is impossible to even do a basic justice to the topic in my sermon this morning. Manichaeism, the Gnostic philosophy out of which St. Augustine was saved, is a rather historically famous branch of Gnosticism, and it has a very Eastern flavor to it. And in fact, it marched its way into China as well. That's how far East it went. Switching gears slightly, of major importance in early Christianity is the heresy called Arianism. The heresy which denied the full divinity of Jesus Christ, so-called after its author, Arius. He was a priest born in the late 3rd century, about 280, give or take. Arius' teaching about Christ was the principal issue that called forth the Nicene Council in 325. Arius appears to have held that the Son of God was not eternal, but created before the ages by the Father from nothing as an instrument for the creation of the world. He was therefore not God by nature, but a creature, and so susceptible of change, even though different from all other creatures in being the one direct creation of God. His dignity as the Son of God was bestowed on him by the Father on, a, on, his, on account of his foreseeing abiding righteousness. So if you listen closely, you go, hmm, that's not what the Nicene Creed says, nor the Athanasian Creed that we just read. The view that Christ is a creature, a being created by God the Father, is still very much with us in the world today. Mormonism and Jehovah Witnesses are both complete Aryan heretical cults. Doesn't mean we don't love them. Doesn't mean we don't have friends that are Mormons. But we have to be clear and state forward the truth of Christianity, and Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses are not Christians in any way, shape, or form in terms of classical Catholic Christian faith. Now, yes, I know that both, particularly Mormonism of late, maybe the last 20-plus years, have attempted to just become another denomination and to be viewed that way. Uh, but that's not what they are. And when we had a couple of Mormon families in the school, I just clarified, so we're all aware that we don't believe the same thing at the very basic root level of our faith. And they said, yes, we understand. And I said, 
And we're all aware that your children will be reciting the Nicene Creed, which specifically outlaws Mormonism. Yes, we understand. Um, So I think that truthfulness and charity is the best way to deal with our Mormon friends, because I know wonderful people that are Mormons. Switching gears again, Macedonianism, uh, is, uh, there, there's some other names for it that are um, much harder to pronounce and to remember. Um, but it's a heresy that denies the full Godhead of the Holy Spirit. Those that followed this heresy believe that the Holy Spirit was created by the Son and thus was subordinate to the Father and the Son. This heresy was condemned at the First Council of Constantinople in 381. And the, what we recite as the Nicene Creed today, formulated first partially in 325, and then what we see today it was completed, that bottom half dealing with the Holy Spirit, was completed in 381 to give us the full um, Creed of Nicaea, or Nicene Creed. So first we're dealing with, well, Jesus is not God. And then that same century later, well, the Holy Spirit's not God. And by 381, we say, no, all three persons of the Godhead are of one essence. They're God. Allow me now to move more specifically to descriptions of the doctrine of the Trinity that prove to be fallacious or heretical um, that many of us have probably used at least one or maybe more of these descriptions. Uh, also, if you're unfamiliar with Lutheran satire, uh, which is a website and a very creative group of Lutherans, I suggest you look it up on the interweb and, and look at the video called St. Patrick's Bad Analogies. And uh, you'll hear a few of these. So here are a number of bad analogies that many tend to still use to t- today to describe the Trinity. The first example is to say that the Trinity is like the sun, where you have the actual star itself, but also you have light and heat. The problem with this analogy of the star, uh, or excuse me, the sun, a a star as uh, a means to describe the Trinity, is that light and heat come forth from the star, the sun. And that means that the light and the heat are creations of the star or the sun. And therefore, this is essentially, got it in your head, what heresy is it? It's the heresy of Arianism, that the star creates light and heat. But that's not the doctrine of the Trinity. The second example of common heretical understandings of the Trinity is to say that the Trinity is like ice, water, and steam. Different form of the same thing, H2O, water, right? So you can have water as ice, you can have it as steam, you can have it as just water, liquid water. Unfortunately, that uh, analogy uh, is describing the heresy of modalism. Modalism means that there is one God putting on different hats. There's the hat of the Father, the hat of the Son, and the hat of the Holy Spirit. There are not three distinct persons, but just different actions, so to speak. In modalistic thinking, God created as the Father, created as the Father, redeemed as the Son, and sanctified as the Holy Spirit. So one God, but three different ways of acting 
in the life of the world and in his people. The third example. The Trinity is like an egg. You've probably at least heard this if you haven't used it. In an egg, you have the yolk, the white, and the shell. This heresy would be called tritheism. Not just three distinct persons in the Godhead, but three distinct gods. You see, the shell is made up of completely different stuff than the yolk or the white. There's just three separate things going on in an egg. This heresy goes in the opposite direction of modalism, which keeps the oneness of God but denies the persons of God. This heresy of tritheism emphasized the distinctness of the persons to the point of destroying the unity. So those are kind of opposites, and hopefully that will help you to remember. The uniqueness of the Trinity as a doctrine has been challenging in the life of the church, no doubt. But because something is challenging doesn't mean ignore it, which is probably a temptation for mankind for most of history. Nor does it mean not to think about it. I tell my students to keep in mind a few important words that come down to us from history. To stay out of heretical trouble when dealing with the Trinity. To avoid having Father Foos write in red pen across your essay, Heretic! Which some of these students over here have experienced, former students. Um, Make sure to remember the words essence and persons. God is one essence or substance in three persons. One and three is the key. And this one God has created us and redeemed us and works in us and through us every day unless we hinder that work through our sin and selfish desires. Our Trinitarian God, each person of the Trinity, created us and the world, and, res- and has redeemed us and the world, and will rule and guide and care for us and the world until we are ruling with God in the new heavens and the new earth. Amen.